As we all know, the boomers are rolling into retirement at the rate of 10,000 a day in the U.S. for the next 15 years. And many things are different about this group, including the fact that more people will be solo agers than ever before through divorce, death, or choice. In fact, there are double the number of single women without children in this boomer generation, more than any prior generation. So how do solo agers, men and women, differ from those who are coupled? What aspects of retirement should they think more about? How can they create a roadmap to the fulfilling life they want to achieve? Tune in for my interview with Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber, a nationally recognized expert on solo aging. Welcome to Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, and I track down experts to answer your questions on aging. Let's get smarter about growing older. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Welcome to Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber, a nationally recognized expert on solo aging. Dr. Geber is author of three books on solo aging, frequent contributor to Forbes magazine on retirement, and has been selected as an influencer on aging by PBS. Dr. Gebert is an expert on solo aging, helping people who do not have children or who are aging alone in how to have a fulfilling retirement. Her 2018 book, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, a Retirement and Aging Roadmap for Single and Childless Adults, was selected as a best book on aging well by the Wall Street Journal. So great to have you on Seniority Authority, Dr. Geber. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Meet. I'm happy that you're here. Let's start with the basics. I think for some people who are not in this industry, the idea of solo aging is unusual. How do you define solo aging and why do you think that there are more solo agers than in other generations? Well, I will tell you, solo aging was an unfamiliar term to everybody, whether they're in the industry of aging and retirement or not, until a few years ago. In fact, I believe I'm the person that coined that term. And initially, I arrived at that particular phrase, solo aging, to mean people who were getting older, but who didn't have adult children to help them with that process. For me, I looked around and so many of my friends were taking care of their aging parents. And as the years went on, they had to spend more and more time with them. They had to help them downsize. They sometimes had to, if they insisted on staying in their home, They had to help with groceries, they helped with transportation, they had helped with medication, and on it went, depending on how old they got and how much of their 
uh, how much of their kind of their life depended on help from someone. So my husband and I had kind of dodged that particular bullet, you could say, in that his parents lived on the other coast and were mostly, well, they lived in a continuing care retirement community and his sisters were nearby. My parents unfortunately died when I was in my 30s and they died pretty quickly. So I wasn't faced with that. So when I saw all my friends dealing with that when I got into my 60s somewhere, it was kind of an eye opener for me. And the next thing my mind went to was, well, I don't have children. Who's going to do that for me? And there was no answer to that. And I looked around again at my friends and uh, I am married and my husband doesn't have kids from a previous marriage or anything. Neither of us do. And many, many of my friends who I had known back when we were both, when we were all professional people and had, oh, you know, 50, 60 hour a week jobs and were um, running around with no thought to the fact that we just never stopped to have kids. I realized there was probably something different about our generation. So I started doing some research and discovered that in the baby boom generation, women had almost 20% of women, 19.4, had not had children by the time they were 44 years of age. Wow. It modified slightly by the few that did eventually adopt children, whether they were married or not. Some women found a way to raise children. But recently, the Census Bureau has released some very interesting statistics. And I say recently, I mean just last fall. In late 2021, the Census Bureau released a report on childlessness in older adults that underscored exactly what I had been saying. And that successive cohorts as you move down the ages are having fewer and fewer children. So it isn't just going to be an issue that baby boomers need to deal with. Society actually needs to think about this and deal with this for perpetuity. So, however, I don't just define solo agers as people who don't have children anymore, because I got so much pushback on that from people who said, well... I have one son, but he lives on the East Coast, and I'm in Arizona, and I can't depend on him. Or tragically, in some cases, children had predeceased their parents. In some cases, kids were kind of estranged from their parents. So there's all kinds of situations that can create a solo wager. Sure. And I I have um, far more, I think, now than 20% of the population, not just women, but men too far more than 20% of the aging population does not have a social support network, which is what children provide. So when you found this first statistic of 19.4% or almost 20% of women who had not had children, was that an anomaly? Was that something kind of striking in the demographic history of the country? It was when you compare it to previous generations who had had right around 10% of let's just call it an infertility rate. 10% of women didn't bear children. And of course, because of the norms and expectations of previous generations, it most women, whether they really wanted to inside or not, figured that they had to have children. That was their role. That was what they were put on earth to do. And it wasn't until the the baby boom generation came along that turned that on its head. So it is an almost doubling of people who do not have children to that they can look to for some level of support in their later years. 
And, and of course, this is important because people are living longer than ever before. Absolutely. Before we leave the topic of how you define solo agers, because we've had a lot of conversation about this in my group, would you consider someone who is a solo ager, someone who has lost a spouse and also doesn't have children or lost a spouse through divorce and, you know, doesn't have children? Yes. The people who relate to the term solo ager the most are people who truly are alone for whatever reason. Maybe they never married, maybe, or partnered. Maybe they lost a spouse or partner or through divorce or death. So those are the people who absolutely relate to the term immediately. Some people who are married say, well, I'm not a solo ager. I, I have my husband or I, I have my wife and we can depend on each other and we are everything to each other. Well, to me, that's a kind of a dangerous place to be. When I hear people say to me, well, we never go anywhere without the other. We've never spent a night apart. We're totally joined at the hip. To me, that's scary. Because when one of them does predecease the other, and it will happen, very few people die even within a month of each other or a year of each other. It's unless they're in an automobile accident or something that tragically takes both of their lives. So in the case of my husband and me, for example, we're very close. We love each other very much, but we make sure that we have a social network outside of our marriage as well as inside. And I think that that's the healthy way for people to go. No, I I think you're absolutely right. Do things that only you like to do. Don't give up those things because your spouse doesn't want to do them. That's how you form your social network outside of your marriage, which is a very healthy thing to have. Speaking of solo agers, what do you think the three most important challenges are that they're going to face? And and what do we do about that? Well, the first one, for sure, and in my mind, the most important one is having a social network. That's And, and I think of it as one of those proverbial three-legged stools. You have your, your social network, and that's your mainstay. But you also need to have your financial platform put together. You need, I think everyone should spend some time with a financial advisor, at the very least, letting her or him look at what your holdings are, what do you have in the way of income, what does your lifestyle look like in the way of outflow of money, and is that sustainable? And what can you do in your later years to protect yourself? The third leg of that stool is health and preparing for a time when you may not be able to do the things that you're able to do today. So do you have an advanced directive? Do you have someone who will be there for you in case you can't speak for yourself, in case you have a stroke, or in case you're in some kind of an accident and you end up in the hospital, who will speak for you? So you need that in place as well. And of course, those things are are in many ways tied together, but the social, the legal, and the financial are the most important aspects of being a healthy solo ager, making sure you understand where you are in the process and what your options are for the future. So would you say that solo agers are planning differently than than people who are coupled because from a financial and legal standpoint, they really have to execute those documents perhaps sooner than than couples? You know, I get asked that all the time. And my honest answer is no, everybody needs to do it. Yeah. But for people who don't have kids, who 
you know, for better or worse, and no matter where they are in the world, if something happens, 19 out of 20 of them will jump on an airplane and come in and see what they can do for mom or dad. If you have a spouse that's in good shape mentally and physically, they may be able to handle everything that you need when you need it. But again, it's important for everyone. It's especially important for solo agers because the last thing you want to leave yourself vulnerable to is having no one. In fact, the medical system calls people for whom they can't find any family or anyone to to make decisions. They call them elder orphans. I hate that term. That's a sad term. And I hate that term too. It's one of the reasons I started using solo ager. I think that's a much better term. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no one, no one is an island. You have friends or family somewhere that you can reach out to. Reach out to them ahead of time so that they know that they're the person that's going to get called if anything happens to you. And it's a much longer discussion than that. And it's a discussion that really needs to be done with an attorney. And by the way, and whenever I say attorney, whenever anybody says attorney, people start seeing dollar signs. Um, There are lots of attorneys out there that work with the area agencies on aging and some of the county offices that are there to help older adults with issues like this, older adults that don't know where to find an attorney, don't understand that that what an hour of attorney's time is going to cost. So at the very least, even if you're not going to use an attorney, find a do a buddy system thing. I'm on the brink of of initiating something I'm going to call solo support circles. Oh. And I think that they can they can be started from just anything, a book club, a church, a a meetup, but it's people that groups of solos that have come together to support one another. And I think that it's as I over the years that I've looked at this, it's a phenomenon that needs to happen, especially if people are bound and determined to live alone, which that's a whole other topic. I don't think anyone should live alone. (laughs) And there's options for not living alone. But in the case of people who do have their own space, uh, but they need someone to make sure that they got up in the morning. I have um, a couple of friends who are both total solo agers. They do not have spouses or children. And uh, my one friend actually had a, she took a fall one day in her apartment and she couldn't get to the phone for quite a while. I think someone finally came to the door to make a delivery or something. And she said, you know, help me. I can't get to the phone and I need help. And that person helped her and she finally was able to get to a hospital. She wasn't badly hurt, but she couldn't function and it scared the heck out of her. So she got together with three friends of hers and they formed a support circle that right now is just one of, they are committed to sending one text every morning that says, I'm up, I'm about, I'm okay. And if you don't hear, if they don't hear from one of those people, they go check on them. That's very smart. That's very smart. Yeah. And that's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. There's so much that people can do. There's so many of us out there, so much that we can do to support and help each other because you are so right, Kathleen. We're living a lot longer. 
You know, we could be sitting here in our 90s talking about this. Absolutely. And I also think when you talk about legal and financial documents, I think the sooner you do that, the better. Because if you do it when you're 60, it's a lot further away than if you do it when you're 75 or 83. And just getting these documents, getting them put together is just part of it's adulting, as they say, you know, it's part yeah. of being a grown up. You <laughs> That's know? right. I do want to add one note to that. For those of you who are listening and sitting there smugly saying, oh, I did that 12 years ago, I'm all set. Take a look at those documents. Take a look at them. We all need to review them every five to 10 years. My husband and I just had to review ours for the second time. Um, a couple of the people that we had named, one had moved far away and one had died. Yeah. So we needed to rearrange the people and have those conversations again. So take a look at those documents and make sure they're still good. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's not set it and forget it. It's set it and then revisit it so that it's current, but it's a lot easier to revisit it once you've done that initial, had that initial conversation. And, and I tell you, lawyers are not inexpensive, but not getting the right legal documents in place is, is much more costly. And there's a lot of things you can do online and and have other resources. And one of which is, is Sarah's book, which we're going to put a link to in the show notes. So you talked about living arrangements. If you had your preference, what would you recommend based on your experience for solo agers? If someone, solo ager came to you and said, what should my living arrangements be? What would you say? It depends on a couple things very strongly. It depends on your finances and it depends on, on how you like to live. Because there are so, so, so many options out there. Now, let's start at the top. And for those who are pretty well healed and can really live anywhere they want, I like senior communities. I like senior living. Now, when I say senior living, people have all kinds of different pictures that come up in their mind, and especially since COVID. Oh, yeah. What has happened, unfortunately, is that a lot of people do not know the difference between a a high-end senior living community called a life plan community or a multi-level life community, they don't know the difference between that and that horrible nursing home where they saw their grandmother die. And there could not be more difference between those two. So I encourage you, if you do have the money to move into a senior life plan community, um, to at least go check them out. Go visit some. They're everywhere. Unless you live in a tiny, tiny little town somewhere that's, you know, five-hour drive from a city of even 15,000, then you might not have one in your area. But they are in almost all cities and suburbs across the country, sometimes called life plan communities, sometimes called continuing care communities. They And what continuing care or life plan means is that they have a beautiful kind of like a summer camp or a docked cruise ship for people who just want to live independently but not have to worry about housekeeping and meal prep and all of that stuff anymore with amenities galore you could go from morning to laying your head down on the pillow and, and always have something to do some group to join some trip to go on it, it's a high-end older life now for those for whom that has absolutely no appeal then there are loads of other options. Today, we have several hundred co-housing communities across the country. A co-housing community is generally multi-generational. There are people there raising kids. There are people there 
who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Some of them are actually older communities, senior co-housing communities. There's a handful of those. And they are all over the country as well, kind of mostly scattered around the West and the Southeast. Uh, but you can you can pull up co-housing online and, and check out all that they're doing. But beyond that, remember the Golden Girls? There are lots of people these days who are emulating the Golden Girls concept. And there are ways of finding people. If you don't already know people that you might want to do that with, there are ways of finding people that are interested in doing that. There's a company called Silver Nest out there that matches people across the country, people who have homes they want to share with people who would like to share a nice home with someone. You know, it's nice to have to know that someone, when you walk in the door, somebody's going to say, how was your day? That somebody cares that you come home. You may not instantly love that person, but love grows. And as you, some of you may remember from your days of uh, roommates back in college, it's not so terribly, terribly different. If you had a good experience with that, you have every chance of having a good experience with co-housing or sorry, not co-housing, co-housing, you have your own independent unit and can do everything on your own. But with home sharing, then you're probably sharing a kitchen and you're sharing the living room and that kind of thing. Lots of instances of that. Anna-Marie Pluhar is a woman who kind of pioneered some of those ideas and you can find her online. She wrote a book called Home Sharing. Uh, let's see, beyond that, I have become a huge fan of mobile home parks. Now, obviously mobile home parks don't work everywhere in the country. I know that they're not so good where you have tornadoes, maybe not so good where you have hurricanes, but there are plenty of places in the country that they work beautifully. I live in California and we have hundreds and hundreds of gorgeous mobile home communities and they're not all so gorgeous. Many of them are very well kept. Mostly when I say that, people say to me, I'm not going to be a trailer person. Well, walk into one of those newer mobile homes. You won't feel like you're in a trailer. And the thing I love about them is that people have their own units and they live independently, but they're really close to their neighbors and they have to see their neighbors pretty much every day. Almost everybody has a little dog and they walk the dog or they have a cat and they have to go out to outside of their unit to get their mail and sometimes to do their wash, depending on whether they have a wash washer and dryer inside. And most nice mobile home communities have large multifunction rooms and places where people congregate, pools and a gym. So again, you can find all levels of those, but I've become a big fan. So many people have told me that they love living in a mobile home community and have been there for 20 years, some of them. Those are just a few ideas that then, you know, you can make them up as you go. Well, I think what I see as the through line in all of these recommendations of yours is that that you're trying to choose a living environment that will prevent isolation and loneliness. If you're getting smarter, help us reach more minds. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so others know we're legit. Tell your friends to follow us on social or subscribe to our newsletter at senioritytheauthority.org. So for the life plan or the CCRC community, that has the advantage of you choose a community, you move in, and when you need care, you get it right within the community. And for the co-housing, you have someone who is there connecting with you. I think one thing we do know now is that loneliness, the effects of loneliness are 
greater predictor of early death than smoking, which is shocking to a lot of people. Yeah, it is. It's shocking. And we're social animals. We need each other. It, by contrast, people who live alone midlife, especially women, by the way, women tend to do better on their own than men. And I, there are thousands of women out there living totally happy lives, living on their own. They've had good jobs, some high-powered jobs, some simply jobs that they enjoy. They've had a lifestyle with friends and neighbors. And it's hard to wrap their minds around the idea that they'd have to maybe give up living that solo lifestyle. In other words, they have friends when they want them and need them. And then they have the solitude of their own place with their own music or their own TV or their dog or their cat. So that's sometimes a tough one for single people. But I think it's a worthwhile consideration. It's a worthwhile hurdle to try and get over to figure out how you can live a little closer to other people so that you have a support system. That support system for solo agers, especially the support system that they've had through midlife tends to disintegrate later on. Some of that support system probably came from their career from the people they knew at work and had so much in common with, and they became their not only their colleagues, but their friends, and work life just merged right into social life in the evening. Well, those days eventually kind of start to wane, and we've seen an abrupt end to them with the pandemic. Sure. But thinking ahead to when those days are over and when many of those people that you knew during that time then become grandparents, And guess what grandparents tend to do when their kids move to another city to uh, seek their fortune? Those grandparents tend to move right along with them. I know I and and most other solo agers that I know have lost several friends who have moved all the way across the country to be with those grandkids. So things change as we get into our 60s and 70s and 80s. And the better we can be flexible and kind of roll with the punches the happier we'll be in later life. Well, I think what's interesting that you just pointed out that there tends to be a lack of imagination. So people think I'm good. I'm living alone. I have a nice network. Everything is fine. I'm good for another 10 years. They don't think about the fact that in 10 years, their health changes, their friends' health changes, their things change. And By staying in the same place, it does not prevent change from happening. It comes to all of us. So you're (laughs) going to change. Your experience of life is going to change. And as you point out, your friends are going to change. So That's such a good point, Kathy. Yeah, it's just a change is going to find you. So why not embrace the idea of initiating change and choosing something different as opposed to holding on to what you know? For fear of what you don't know. I think that's really important. And um, one thing that I know we get a lot of questions about being connected to a continuing care retirement community is, well, I am an introvert, but I don't want to live with people. And I think if you choose a senior living community like a CCRC or other forms of that You can still be an introvert, but have the support when you need it. One woman told me she moved to Riverwoods because she said, I am an introvert. And given my own preference, I would become a hermit. And I know that that's not a healthy thing for me as I face my 70s and 80s. So I'm doing this because 
when I need people, they will be outside my door. So I think that's another thing for all those listeners who are saying, I couldn't imagine moving in with all these people. I couldn't imagine having meals with people that you can move into this lifestyle, but still retain your independence and introversion, but it's healthier for you to have those connections. Absolutely. That was, she was very smart to recognize that about herself and to make the move. Because it's true. The um, senior living communities are give you all options. You can eat by yourself in your own unit if you want. You can do the things that do the solo things that you love. People I, I've noticed in a lot of senior communities now are developing garden patches so that people who like to garden, which is a wonderful solo activity, can kind of commandeer their own area and do their gardening, raise those tomatoes that they love to grow every year, and even help the uh, and donate them to the dining hall or donate them to the soup kitchen, you know, on the other side of town. So there's a lot of independence that goes with these modern continuing care and life plan communities. And there are so many different varieties. One of the things I'm seeing now is a lot of these communities are starting to really broaden the options for moving in. Some are greatly reducing the buy-in amount, which is the amount you pay up front, and instead asking for higher monthly fees or vice versa, and giving people the option to, to do one or the other. Some continuing care communities have actually turned into more multi-level care communities where care is brought to you rather than you moving into a separate area of the community when you need care. And there's lots of debates going on about that, about what's the right thing, but you'll only know what's going on in the communities near you by stepping out and exploring them. They love to have people come. They'll give you a tour. They'll probably invite you for lunch just so you'll have an idea of what what it looks like when residents are there. Of course, a lot of times in these communities, you go to lunch and there aren't very many people there because people are out. People are out having lunch with their friends or they're out shopping or they're out at a movie or they're out doing out on a bus trip. So where you really get to see people is during dinner time. So at, at any rate, I'm so in favor of at least checking out the communities around you to see if they have any appeal for you at all. Yeah, I think it's good to, as you said earlier, to not assume you know what they all look like, to not assume that they are like your grandparents' nursing home, but to see for yourself and explore. And it requires nothing except an open mind. And I think the one thing that the last two years have really drilled into us is that isolation and loneliness age you prematurely. And that's why I just wondered if you would comment on solo agers. Do they have more, are they more prevalent to social isolation than people who are coupled? It depends on the choices they make and just the choices that we've been talking about. Solo agers for the most part, blossom and do well in any kind of community, whether it's co-housing or an active adult community where there may not be services for care, but at least you're in closer proximity with people and you're in a a small one-level cottage or a condominium where you're so much more able to meet people and they're are often organized activities for people to join. Pickleball has become all the rage these days. Yes, it has. We've got pickleball courts here. It's people are taking it up like crazy. Yeah. The, Almost uh, the as big adult. as Wordle. <laughs> 
high-end wordle. Yes. <laughs> After you finish your wordle, then you can go hit the pickleball course. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we have a, um, a 55 plus or an active adult community, whatever you want to call it, very near where I live. And recently there was a, a huge, huge battle about they wanted to tear down some existing tennis courts and put twice as many pickleball courts where the tennis courts had been. And of course, there were still, you know, a good handful of people that wanted to play tennis. So, but it ended up that they actually, they actually went ahead and did that. There were tennis courts and that they were going to leave as tennis courts in another part of the community. But pickleball evidently breeds some fanaticism about the desire to play. So, And they're doing that in our town. They're changing the tennis courts to pickleball courts because I think more and more people are, are taking it up. Well, more and more people are older. The percentage yes. of people in all of our communities that are over the age of 60 is growing every day. It's, well, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but within the next 20 or 30 years, we will be a country of aging people, much like Japan is today. And it's a couple of countries in Europe have are kind of ahead of us on that too. It's just the birth rate has been slow. And we kind of depend on immigrants to our country to provide the birth rate because people who have been here for a while longer aren't having as many kids. And so that's going to make for a much older population. And of course, As you mentioned early, Kathleen, people are just simply living longer. A friend of mine just celebrated his grandmother's 110th birthday. And a woman in the nearby town just turned 114 and they had a parade for her. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, yeah, we are on the cusp of exciting change because we are living longer and there'll be more of us. And so things are going to look different. Nothing stays the same. Technology changes. We have all kinds of advantages as solo agers, but that's the important thing is to get out of the framework that you know what your aging life is going to look like because you probably don't. Now, are there differences between what women and men need as solo agers? Have you found that in any of your research? I haven't delved too far into that. The research that has been done has told us that women actually do much better on their own. So it's more the women that we have to convince to give up that solo lifestyle that they've loved. And go where the companionship and the opportunity for us for more of a social life exists. Men would just as soon be married. Men want to have a partner. And I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of women who have been married and lost a spouse uh, one way or another, divorce or, or death, and said, I'm not getting married again. You know, I don't, I don't want to take care of somebody again. And that statistically, that is often what happens. Now, having said that, there are plenty of men out there who have had, who have taken care of wives that have have been ailing. So that happens too. But men typically want to, after that kind of situation, women tend to have more of a never again, I'm going to stay single attitude. And men are more of, I want to find another partner. I need to have a partner. So that's just what the statistics tell us, right yep. or wrong. No, no, it's understandable. What should our listeners who are solo agers, who are tuning in to this episode, what should they do without delay now or next week or this month? I think for those listeners who haven't ever really even thought about it before, start discussing it. Start talking. You've got friends who are also solo agers. Ask people what they're thinking about doing. I find that 
well, because of what I do and who I am, everybody wants to talk to me about it. But I've also found that my friends that have talked to me about it now go talk to their friends about it. And so they've started making it real. When you start talking about something, it becomes real and not something you can shove under the covers anymore and pretend it's not happening. Because that's the scariest thing to me is people who just want to just turn away and say, that's not happening. I'm not going to think about it. It's not going to be part of my life. And then the next thing you know, they break a hip or the next thing you know, their spouse passes away. So the first thing to do is start talking about it. The second is to think about that three-legged stool. Where are you on that? Where are you with regard to your social network? Where are you with regard to your finances? Do you know whether the lifestyle you're leading today can sustain you until you're 95? What about your healthcare? Do you have an advanced directive? Is there someone that the hospitals will call if something happens to you? And I'm sure those of you who are married, your spouse is kind of the first line of contact for a hospital or anyone, but you need a backup. You need to have a backup. So most advanced directives have space on them to name two, three, even four people in that space. And of course, once you do that, this is something that I find does not go without saying. Once you've completed your advanced directive and your power of attorney for finances and healthcare and whatnot, which is what the attorney will help you do, you need to talk to those people. You need to tell them that they're on their your paperwork so that they don't get a surprise phone call at 3 a.m. and all of a sudden, it, you know, you didn't know that they didn't know they were your backup. So just start talking about it. Start setting some systems up for yourself. Those are the important things. Start looking around. I think I would add to that, run out and buy Dr. Geber's book, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, a Retirement and Aging Roadmap for Single and Childless Adults. And the link to that is in our show notes because that will help you understand what you need to know. But I think I love that you're saying the first thing is talk about it. The first thing is put it out there talk to your friends, get a, your friends are your friends for a reason. Do you think they're smart and they're funny and they get you? So say, Hey, I'm thinking of what's next in my next life. And I'm thinking of these crazy ideas. What do you think? I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. And the book will go into so much more detail about everything we've talked about today, Kathleen. It's a good place to start. It really is. I think just if you can only do a couple of things, one is send this podcast to another single friend of yours and say, take a look, take a listen, and let's have a conversation. The second thing is to get that book and start thinking about this. And I just want to thank you for number one, coining the term solo ager, which I think everyone can agree is so much better than elder orphan. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed about that. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for taking the time and sharing these ideas. I think it's really inspiring. And I want to get this conversation going among the folks who are listening. So please, if you're listening, feel free to drop a comment in at info at senioritiauthority.org. And we can reach out to Dr. Geber, send us questions that you are interested in hearing about. And that is our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts. So more solo agers and non-solo agers can find us. I'd like to 
to thank Dr. Geber for joining us today, all the way from California. It was so fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Kathleen. I always enjoy talking about solo aging or anything to do with retirement and aging. Okay, so that's Dr. Geber. I'm Kathleen Toomey. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, enjoy your chance to get smarter about growing older. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioritythority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.